From across the various realms of the internet comes the power of role-playing. This is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The best of role-playing is here. This is... Game Night Heroes. Hello everyone and welcome back once again to the Game Night Heroes. I'm Kevin and I'm the host and the typical Game Master of the Game Night Heroes. But today we're not playing a game. Instead, we are focusing on another great voice in the TTRPG community as we sit down for another Creator Corner episode. Today I am going to have a conversation with the wise, the unparalleled, the focused Quinn Murphy. Quinn is a game designer, player, writer, and a father who is the creator of several various games. He serves as a freelance designer and writer for Paizo Publishing, specifically with their second edition Pathfinder role-playing game. His work in the past has been featured in Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition. He wrote for our online column At Will. He has written extensively for the Cortex Plus system, Fate, Sig, City of Blades, and his work was featured several times in Kobold Quarterly. He is a true renaissance man, a player of many games, a wearer of many hats, and quite frankly, a very sympathetic, intellectual, and compassionate individual. Today we talked about many things, including his life and times with role-playing games, his entry into the hobby, and the need for empathy and player safety tools around the game. We're going to dive into how he created the amazing It Wants Souls that we had a chance to play on our channel, as well as what might be coming in the future for his independent and professional work. I'd like everybody to please welcome the guest today, Mr. Quinn Murphy. Quinn, thanks so much for sitting down with me. This is hopefully going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. It's good to talk with you again. Yeah, yeah. Good to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So uh, real quick before we get started, um, I know you and I, we talked briefly before and you talked about how you basically, uh, you know, you're kind of a secret, uh, maybe not secret. I don't know. You're in like the the superheroes and the stuff like that. So I got to know, are you a DC or a Marvel guy? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay. so for a second, I'm going to do my best politician uh, answer here and uh, be like, I like both for different reasons. Yes. Um, I think yeah. I think Marvel has some good characters, some really great storylines and really great integration uh, while while they can sometimes be too much with it. Overall, um they really know how to make great overall arcing storylines that like uh, interweave um their different comics. DC has for my money the best characters, the like just iconic, great characters, a couple of just like just some incredible, mind blowing sort of storylines using them. Not so tight on the sort of integration sometimes. I mean, they do have some good crossover stuff, but I, I don't sure. know if it's as good as Marvel's. All of which to say pains me that DC can't get their act together to make their movies like as a cohesive whole that they can't do their own version of the MCU because they have 
the material. They have better oh, material definitely. in my mind than Marvel does. So yeah, I've always looked at it. I get this asked this question sometimes too in my friend group, and I always look at it kind of the same way you're saying. I feel like Marvel has really good stories, but the DC, like you said, these iconic characters—they're the characters when you're talking about superheroes. That's who you think about: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, others. You know, that's really the epitome of superhero storytelling. And yeah, it's it's uh, they're due up for some good stuff, I think. And uh, I mean, there's been there's been some hits here and there, but uh, like you said, not not quite where we want it to be. Yeah, like there's sort of, you know, beacons of, of light in there, but like overall, like I want them to tap into the deep primal DC stories mm-hmm. um, that they have um, and, right. and put those on screen. Yeah, love it. I think we're I think we're in agreement then. <laughs> so yeah, like we got the same kind of absolutely. mindset. Right on, right on. So uh, cool. Yeah. So let's dive into some role playing game talk, shall we? Um, so um, Quinn. Yeah. You've been in the gaming community as a player for a long time. You've also been designing for a couple of years now. So tell me, you know, what's your story? How did you get involved in role-playing games? What was the spark that created your passion? Um, you know, I, I blame my brother. Okay. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> um, you know, he, uh, when I was a kid, he was playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition. And uh, for anybody familiar with those books, um, if you're not familiar with those books, Go look up the covers. See if you would let a kid who's not even first grade look at those books. Um, <laughs> okay. I sure wouldn't. And he sure wouldn't. So, like, he, they were playing this stuff. It sounded really interesting. It was like, hey, let me play. I want to read these books. And they would just be like, uh-uh, absolutely no. They would just keep these books. And I didn't know why. Right? I just mm. knew that it was, like, kind of like the sort of forbidden knowledge. And so then about seven years older uh, than me. So by the time I was 11 and he was 18 and he was off and... Uh, discovering college and, you know, uh, having new experiences and was done with D&D, I picked up all his books. Um, and I was like, nice. finally, this is this is mine. Um, and started, you know, going through all of that. And it was very interesting because he had, we had at the house, the player's handbook and the monster manual, but not the DM's guy. Oh, okay, that and was the, it. That and, and the, right, and, 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 and the way they did it, in first edition is that you really needed the DM's guide for like experience, how some kind of like, you know, like how like a lot of crucial rules work, were in the dungeon master's guide. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think this is the part where we'd call it foreshadowing, right? Because I had to spend, right. you know, like, like we do the build the montage of me reading, going back and forth between the monster manual and the player's handbook trying to infer what is the missing stuff that they keep referring to in the book that I don't have, right? Because right, this okay. is also the time before you could just go order a book. Like the nearest place to me that I knew I could get role-playing books from was like a half hour drive away that I had to go get someone to take me and they, they almost never had it in stock when I went to get it. Mm-hmm. So I had to like, for like, I spent like a year running the game without, <laughs> without the full tool so Right. So I had, yeah, so I had to make, so I had to make up all those rules um, in there. And that was sort of my first bit of game design, though. I didn't Mm. think of it as that for for me, I just thought of it as like, okay, here's some like, you know, uh, hot patching I'm going to do on this to, to run this game that I want to really run. And uh, yeah. And then from there it was, you know, eventually I did get the dungeon master's guide and we're playing, you know, second edition and all all these other games and uh, you know, sort of fast forward, um to I, I hadn't done anything like professionally for role-playing games 
but then I ran a, a blog for fourth edition called At Will. And, I remember that. Um, uh, oh, really? Do you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, uh, a lot of people that I don't think do. But, um, the uh, you know, I ran that blog for a while. Yeah, I worked. I worked in a gaming store back when Fourth Edition was out, so I was one of the few people who actually had to have working knowledge of it. A lot of people went from the three point five to the fifth edition, and Fourth Edition's terrible. We don't want to talk about yeah. it. It's the gaming system that shall not be named. But uh, yeah, I used to be kind of involved with that. So yeah, I, uh, I've I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then that led to me actually being able to, um, like publish, uh, material and, um, start working for things. Um, one of my first big publishing things was actually with, it was for Cobalt Press. Um, but the lead designer was Logan Bonner, who is actually the head of development for Pathfinder now. Um, okay. and, uh, so, so it was like actually my first time working with him. Um, and we did the, uh, Lost City project. Um, mm-hmm. and then... Yeah. Uh, you know, and then from there, just um, I just started working on other projects. You know, uh, a lot of people knew me at for fourth ed at that point, but you know, I, I mean, I, I, I like all sorts of games, and I've done work with like Cortex, and and you know, I've been doing that for geez, well over a decade at this point. So right, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's good stuff. With you getting into Paizo, did that come specifically from your work with him, or did you have other avenues that you had to pursue to get into? working directly on the Pathfinder stuff that you primarily work on now? Um, well, you know, it was interesting because I was, um, there was a period in time where I was just kind of out for maybe like a couple of years where I was just sort of out, but then I was starting to get back into it um, and uh, playing some things and, you know, I started playing fifth ed and playing some other games. And then I was actually, I picked up, I, like I was in the gaming store and I saw that the new second edition Pathfinder was out. I was like around like September. It was like just after Gen Con. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, oh, like, oh, it's Logan. And, you know, and it's like, I, you know, I, uh, you know, Logan, Logan and I are friends. Um, mm-hmm. Logan's mm-hmm. awesome. And so I was just like, hey, like, I just like, I was just like, hey, I, I just need to buy this. I, I need to see, you know, um, I was doing fourth ed when Pathfinder came out. Um, okay. And I never really had a problem with Pathfinder. I always thought Paizo makes great products. That's just sort of what they're known for. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. But I just wasn't, like, I was done with 3.5 at that point. So okay. I didn't want to sort of continue with it. Um, but I did want to check out what they were doing new. And I picked up Pathfinder 2, and I was just blown away. Honestly, like, the, the changes that they made to it, um, I was just... You know, um, the inclusion that they put in the book, um, just the different like amount of like faces, how they got rid of race and replaced mm-hmm. it with ancestry, just like poof, gone. Um, I was just super blown away and super excited about it. Yeah, it was just uh, I was ranting about it on Twitter and folks were like, hey, if you want to ever try, you know, writing something like, you know, come on over. And so uh, I did, um, you know, and I my first Thing that I did for Paizo was uh, archaeology and Aspenthal and uh, Pathfinder Society quest. Um, and then from there, I uh, put some stuff um, in the um, Second Abomination Vaults book. And then I wrote an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was yes. a crazy experience. I know I, I feel really lucky to have done that. And just, yeah. And then, and then from there, it's just been a, a thing um, where I just have been uh, writing lots of stuff and I just enjoy it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, clearly, yeah, you stay staying involved there. 
The adventure that you put together, it's part of an adventure path, of course. It's, I believe it's the right. second adventure in the series that yes. it's part of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how was that process different than the other stuff you had done previously before? Were you doing more like collaborative work and stuff where you're doing work that's kind of inserted into other things? How was it to be kind of taking a lead on a project like that where you got to pretty much do the whole shebang? Uh, overwhelming at first, honestly. It's like, sure, sure, you know, sure. I, mean, I, I mean, up until that point, the biggest piece of work I'd ever done was around 20,000 words or so. Mm-hmm. And this was, this book was double that. Wow. Um, yeah. But the weird thing about big word counts I, I found um, uh, at this point is you're just looking at it and you're like, I'm never gonna fill this word. It's like, I don't have 40, right. I don't have I don't have 40,000 words to say about myself. Like, what am I going right, to do? Right. Like, you want me to talk about an adventure? No, sorry, can't help you. But then by the time right, right. you're near the end, you're just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like the end, you were running out of words. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning, and, and it's sort of, and, and part of it was that the biggest thing was uh, crossing that gap, crossing that gap of words mm-hmm. meant developing a real process for writing words which i'd never really had to do before like like around 10 20 000 words you can kind of just sit down and like hold that in your head and write like anything under that but like once you get past that if you don't come up with a process if you don't sort of give yourself some structure it becomes very hard to get past that is it's, it's a it's super difficult to do it Sure, that makes sense. Uh, point of no return, so to speak. You get to a point where you yeah. have such a volume that you, if you don't have the base right. structure there, it's going to be harder to get the whole rest of it figured out. Interesting. Yeah, I can I can only imagine how daunting a task like that must be, but uh, that's awesome. I think it's pretty sweet. I uh, I have never delved into a big scale thing like that myself, so I give a lot of props to people who can actually put that all together like that. Because, yeah, like you said, I'm sure that's going to be overwhelming. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Awesome stuff. Your work with Paizo, um, is that primarily what you play? Is Pathfinder then, or do you do a bunch of different stuff? Is Pathfinder your favorite system? I mean, I have played over the years like a ton of different stuff. I'm always willing to play a new game. But these days, Pathfinder is definitely like my favorite fantasy game to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, there are different games that I play for like different reasons and uh, for different tonal stuff. But if I just want to sort of make up like an action fantasy thing, I'll just use Pathfinder. Um, sure. for it is, I, I mean, one, I'm super familiar with it, but two, I just like how it structures, um, mm-hmm. the thing and, and it gives uh, a structure that lets me improvise easier. Um, right. but yeah, like, I mean, I, I love all sorts of games. I guess my limiting theme right now is always time, right? Yes, of uh, course. you know, I would, I, I, if I had a little more time, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I actually have been really wanting to run games for and two things that I really want to uh, run um, and need to sort of make time for are uh, Haunted West. Uh, okay. these, these, these first two are Chris Spivey specials, right? Um, Haunted mm-hmm. West, um, which is amazing. Um, and I, I got, I had the honor of being an honor on Roll20 as a player, uh, but I'd love to like just run it for people in private and also um, Harlem Unbound, um, which is sort of like a Call of Cthulhu setting in the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and oh, also, wow, yeah. also amazing. Um, and so Very I've been, cool. I've been like eyeing running those things for like a long time, and just have not have just been busy. Um, sure, sure. So, but th- those are those are first things on my docket. 
Amazing. Yeah, that does both sound amazing. Yeah, I would love to play either one of those. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say is probably your favorite role-playing system? If you had if you had to pick one, you know, you're on a desert island, you in this one book, what would you have to pick? I know that's hard. That's probably harder than asking, you know, your favorite DC or Marvel. You know, that's probably yeah, harder that's than fun. that. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, can't, I care way more about RPGs than, than, than comics, <laughs> right. so that's, that's much harder. Um, oh, I put you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, um... I just put up some sort of candidates, right? Because I think, okay, I, think sure. I, 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 can, I can agonize for the next like 40 minutes on the one, but like I'll put up sort of uh, my, okay. my, my sort of top three that I would wrestle with. Um, one of my favorite, 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 favorite games on the planet is uh, Tenrabant Show Zero. Oh, okay. I've not played it. I do. I've heard of it, though. It's a, a Japanese RPG, um, and it just does this great stuff with, uh, you know, it, sim- it simulates this sort of emotional impact and flow of like a, a shonen anime um without making a bunch of weird specific shonen anime mechanics which i never dig um okay. uh pathfinder 2 i'm just gonna put it up on there because of course of uh, course yeah. hello oh, pathfinder um and honestly um cortex like i just i really love the cortex system um, I like how it thenifies or reifies concepts and like you can sort of make anything pull into the table um, on that from sort of emotional trauma to physical superpowers or anything. You can make all of that part of what you play. So Definitely. I like Cortex a lot too. Um, and I know you wrote for Cortex Civil War X-Men for the Cortex Plus system. You have familiarity, I'm sure, with all three of the different Cortex systems. Even though they're all technically yeah. the same system, there's differences. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I fell in love with Cortex years ago. I played in a Firefly game with some friends when mm-hmm. there was the Serenity role-playing game book mm-hmm. uh, right around the time the movie came out. And I just fell in love with the fact that, like you're saying, you have – it's to me, it's one of the few games that I've played. And maybe I just haven't played the right games. But it's the, it's one of those games where you have your – the difference between, I'm going to say, role-playing, R-O-L-L, and role-playing, R-O-L-E. It's the – the game that I know that you can have both of those elements be so intertwined. You can have every aspect of your character mm-hmm. defines what's going on because of the way you have it built and the plot point system where you can actually completely mm-hmm. change, modify, adapt the rule set in mm-hmm. real time. I just, I had a blast with that. My players loved it. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to play that game again. Cause yeah, Cortex rocks. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and it's I, one of those I things Cortex. I tell people about. They're like, what's that? Like people, people don't really know about it, which is weird. Cause it's, it's a great system that a lot of people love, but yeah, it's, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah. I would, I would, I would love for it to be even more popular than it is. Honestly. Mm-hmm, definitely. Definitely. So in role playing games in general, what would you say is probably your, whether as a player or as a game master or as a creator, what would you say is your uh, your flavor, your style? Like, what do you look for in a game when you're playing? So when um, I'll I'll say what I'm looking for when I GM because I'm I'm like a forever DM. I okay, really, sure, really I can, play. I can and, I, and I have no <laughs> and I have and I have no complaints about that because I honestly just love to GM. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the sort of hallmarks of sort of like how. I, I GM and what kind of things I'm trying to do. I mean, even when I'm writing stuff and, and bringing it out is I want to find ways for us at the table and for players and GMs to sort of see how what's inside someone affects what happens. 
right? Mm. I, I kind of like, um, I have sort of a technique uh, that I use at the table called inside out. Um, and where I will like some big thing happens at the table, right? You like, you just vanquished, you know, the big, bad evil guy, or like, you know, a dragon has come burned to town. And then we'll sort of just go to each player and just like, so how does your character feel about this kind of stuff? It's just a reminder of them, something that happened, do that. And then we, we kind of get that snapshot of their inside. And then we go, so what do we see? Because you feel that thing, ah. right? And that is a... Uh, sort of a core that that is my GM core mechanic um, that I like okay. to use. I don't try to overuse it, but um, I think that sort of defines what I care about. Like I, I think what I love about role playing games is that there are a game like there's mechanics and rules, right? Mm-hmm. But what really powers these games is empathy, right? Which is basically an all on all empathy really is is imagination poured through relating to somehow someone else feels right and so role-playing games let use mechanics and these other things to generate these moments of empathy like the best role-playing moments are those things where something happens right and and you feel it as a person you're you you you're in it and sort of seeing oh man i'm acting through this character and oh what a great moment but then we as players are watching a moment happen going oh that's amazing, right? This thing yes, that's yes. happening, right? Because we can all relate. And so um, that's why that's why I'm doing RPGs. Uh, you, you know, I mean, I have tons of stuff I could be doing, right? But this is why I've been doing RPGs for like 30 years, right? right. Uh, because there's just, they are one of the most human activities that we have left for us. Um, and, uh, and I think they'll continue to be so. Oh man, I love that. I love that. I do. I just got chills. That was <laughs> that you hit it right <laughs> on the head. Exactly. I mean, because that's that's why I do it too. If there are those moments mm-hmm. like you said where you just you have the table has a moment. Like you said, you defeat the big bad. You complete a. You know, a, we've been playing this game for two years and it's finally over. You know, that's mm-hmm. a that's a moment for at the table. And like right. you said, it's snapshots that you as a group had this life together. And even if you continue to play other mm-hmm. games, that moment is that moment. And I, uh, mm. I love that. I love how that's what that, like you said, that's what that instills. And that's what that brings out in players. I feel like at a table that's successful. Um, mm. I'm not talking, uh, you know, I, I go to a con and I play for two hours with strangers and it's just mechanics and a demo or something. I mean, that could happen there too, but mm. um, I'm talking about those real moments, those real, uh, like you said, those really Im- impassioned, uh, empathetic moments. Definitely. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, it, I, I've had, I've had one shots, that were I've had I've had a couple one shots that were just like game changers for me, mm-hmm. um, but the the thing is it's it's very interesting. Um, like sometimes you'll hear people be like, oh, like you know, uh, like uh, I'm not into all those safety tools and like all this other stuff. But I, I feel like what that misses is that when you get those big moments, when you're in an environment where you can let your guard down, where and you're only going to let your guard down when you feel safe. And you're only going to feel safe when you can trust the people around you. And what those tools do is mm. they act if they act without other stuff, right? You need those tools less when you're with people that you've known for a long time and have a lot of trust with and rapport, right? But in the end, right. you can go, hey, I don't know you super well, but here's a, a tool, a, an X card, or, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of them now, right? Pick, pick your ones that you want to use. 
Um, here are tools for psychological safety if you need them. And all the tools that I've had, all the games that I've had that have been big game changers had those things on the table. Okay. So then we could just let go. And then if somebody needed to pull them out, you know, you use them and then you're like, cool, we're cool. We're, we're going to move away from that and we're going to get back into the, the stuff. And, and so, yeah. So, I mean, go, go, going to your general point, it's, it's just, you can have those things in one shots, but it's more likely it's easier to do it in long-term things where you know everyone and build that trust. Like, you know, my, uh, I have a, a Pathfinder game that has been running for three years now. Um, Excellent. You know, and I, you know, we all know each other real well and sort of how we want to play and do stuff. So we have great times with it. Definitely. I, I love that. Yeah, that trust level really goes a long way. And it's great, and I feel like that's the time that you can have that best role-playing is when you, like you said, you do have that safety, you do have that trust. Even with people you haven't been playing with for a long time, if you've got the right tools in place to be able to open up like that, people will. And it's it's really, like you said, it's a mm-hmm. game-changer. It really modifies how you look at a game, and it's a, it's a cool thing to mm-hmm. see. It's a really cool thing to mm-hmm. see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, get, I, get, I guess that was like the other thing that I would say, sort of like, I love about RPGs and like one thing that I like, I, I would feel that is a thing that I try to like push for um, when I run games is like building that trust, not trying to force someone to like trust me or something, but mm-hmm. making a safe space so that they can open that, that door, um, you know, and it's always like for me as a GM and, and as a person cool when someone is like, Hey, I'm going to like open this door and we're going to like do something. Right. And you're like, okay, cool right like i'm like you know i'm i'm ready for this moment right and let, like let's go and just like those are uh, those are always like the, the best moment right exactly exactly well said i pre- i appreciate your input on that for sure is a mindset of playing games where you have those emotional connections what led you to create a game that i found inadvertently through the work of james damato with his ultimate rpg micro book mm-hmm. it wants souls a game that I had a chance to mm-hmm. run for the first time on the show last year and immediately fell in yeah, love that was with such it. such a good episode. Oh, well, thank you so much. My four players loved <laughs> it. Uh, we had such a blast playing that game. And it was that it was one of those things that, like you said, we, the four of us, or five of us, I should say, excuse me, we've known each other for a really long time and we had that trust level and we had moments where, okay, this is going to get dark. This is going to get scary. We had a conversation about how far we wanted mm-hmm. things to go. and we got done playing and like, we all were like, you know, we had goosebumps. So we were all, you know, mm-hmm. bouncing around. It was, it was a really cool system. Um, it wants souls, of course. I mean, I'm sure you could probably do a pitch of it better than I could. Um, <laughs> but uh, what led you to create a game? That's basically a role-playing game version of a horror movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, I was like, always like, eh, on horror movies, but um a few years ago oh, i hate horror um, movies let me say that first i'm a huge wuss <laughs> i get scared of everything and so the fact that we played it and loved it so much was amazing but uh i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> uh, well you know it and and like a few years ago um me and my partner got together and um she loves horror movies and we'd start watching them and like i discovered oh actually i really love horror movies um, oh, okay, great. you know i just hadn't i just hadn't watched good good ones um and so then I would, you know, and, and so we, 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 we watch a lot and, and, and I love watching horror movies with her. And then this is just how I'm wired. Like anything I spend a bunch of time doing, I'm going to turn into like, I'm going to at least think about 
what this would look like as a role-playing game, right? Like it's, it's sure. just always has to happen. Um, and then, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, and, and I, and one of the things going, going back to this sort of trust thing, uh, uh, again, yes. it, what good horror movies do is that they establish like two things first, right? Like, Hey, you can trust us, right. To be like, kind of like, not randomly manipulative and, and awful. Right. But then also too, that you should care about these people, right? They show you very early why you should care about these people. They show people in love. They show people who have some decency, some kindness, right? They, you know, bad horror movies just show you some asshole. And then, right. You know, you're mo- most of the time you're like laughing at them dying or something. Right. Right. Um, but, <laughs> right. but good one, good ones show you, uh, and they don't have to make the person a saint. They just have to go, why do I care about what happens to this person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and why should I trust you? And then once they establish that, then they're like, cool, now you're going to go through the pits of hell, right? And um, yes. and so I, I like the notion of trying to make a horror game that just rotated, like, you know, you play, you, you know, uh, you, know you want souls, you play uh, a family who moved into a new house, you know, something out of like, you know, The Conjuring and you know, you move into a new house and there's this, you know, demon who wants to like take all the stuff. But, but, you know, we, you spend, that's why we spend like a, the whole first scene, just the family, you know, going together. Uh, you know, it establishes that. Why do we care about these people? Right. right? Um, you, you, you build that and you're like, Oh, Hey, we're having cool interactions. It's board game night or, you know, whatever. And then, and then the outsider comes in and then, and then, and then that's when the sort of play starts. Now we're, now we're threatening the stuff that you, you care about. Definitely. Definitely. And a mechanic that I love about it wants souls is the fact that as you play through it, you see that trust. Well, if we use your metaphor, you see that trust in the game for these characters, for the other players at the table, you see it get dissolved mutually. Like you're together on the journey of this family getting, um, I don't want to say destroyed. That sounds a little dramatic, but this family being, yes, this family under attack. Exactly. Uh, you, as you witness that, as you play through that, the mechanics work around the idea that you are slowly losing control over the situation. And I think that's great. You, you almost have like a doomsday clock on the situation that, you know, if you got, in our case, we had five players, you've got five scenes to figure this out <laughs> so right. you don't have a oh we'll play four or five sessions and get it figured out no it's like you have tonight to save this family or die trying sometimes and it's it's a really cool it's a really cool nail biter <laughs> i love it i love it yeah I, I i and i have to say one of the things i i feel i got to do as a designer and what i really appreciate is that sometimes with role-playing games there's a kind of push to make it strategic right like uh like hey you would make this like to set up a choice where hey um if a person chooses this thing they'll get this reward and then that can lead into this thing and set up a uh uh thing of choices but i really like sometimes having role-playing games or role-playing game moments that are not strategic right that are simply for the drama of it and the game is like the game is you're trying to do things against the outsider but it's not really strategic right it's it's sort of like you're playing what you've got on the field you're trying to maybe come up with some justification for some things but there there aren't strategic moments and and the and the, the end resolution is not at all strategic it is just what did we get 
what did yeah. you enroll? And, and because it's not strategic, because you are just trying to sum up these random things, it's like this real nail biter. I feel mm. like where you're just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like what's going to happen, right? You know, the, the last time I played It Wants Souls with some of my friends, um, the family beat the outsider by one point. Yes. Love it. Right? Love it. And it was like, it was so close. It was just like, oh my God, oh my God, right? You know, and they finally did it and got out. But Yes. Yeah, that's great. It really does. It comes down to one final moment. And that moment can be such a pivotal thing for a role-playing group to experience. Uh, yeah, we had a blast playing, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a great game. And I uh, I definitely count it as one of my favorite games that I've ever played. So I appreciate you yeah, for writing you. it. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, do you find that writing micro games, shorter games like that, um, are is, uh, well, I shouldn't say easier, because, of course, you have, there's not a 40,000 word count, as you were mentioning. Oh, it's, it's super hard. It's super hard, super hard. for me. It's super hard for me. So there's like a few things. Like for It Wants Soul specifically, that game took me forever to write because like I agonized, like I knew the flow I wanted to give in the game, like like the, the initial parts of sort of how the scenes would carry about. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I couldn't figure out how to... Um, for, for a micro game, I feel for a good micro game, what you need is a powerful dynamic. Because you don't have the word space. I had roughly 800 words to mm-hmm. to create a play experience. So I didn't have the wordish to explain, okay, here's the glossary of terms and do oh, this right. and yeah, have like, you know, a nice long, you know, they're going to do this and do this. It had to get to the point and and do something, right? And so, and so to do that, you have to have like some pivotal sort of dynamic. And it took me a long time of just like running over, like I, I, I must have thrown out it feels like I threw out a thousand things um, as I was sure. thinking about it. Uh, and, and eventually uh, I was like doing some like free writing about it. And it hit me that what was like the, the sort of key tension in there is that outsider dynamic. So uh, explaining sort of for the listeners, you know, most of the people play the family and one person plays the outsider and they don't talk to mm-hmm. anyone right like they like whilst those scenes are happening they can just sit there observe they can sit there look creepy they don't do anything and they only can speak when they are about to wreak havoc on the family right. and they can come in at any basically as a scene goes through they can jump in at any time and start playing and and that dynamic was a sort of critical theme that I needed because I was trying to figure out how do I make this thing scary without trying to, I don't know, give them demon points or something hokey. Right. Um, And, 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 and changing that normal thing, like normally in a game, it would be like, Oh, I'm the GM and I'm representing the demon and I'm doing this other stuff and, and staging it, but by making it an incursion, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're making our scene. We're doing our own thing. Right. Um, And then he hops in and was like, okay. And it's like, in your cabinets and doing all yeah, this other right. stuff um it, it it was a dynamic that i needed to like move forward but it took me a while to get there yeah well i think it works out pretty well i know for our specific playthrough on the show we had to modify it slightly yeah yeah, yeah. just because of what everybody's comfort level was but uh yeah i thought it was i thought it was great i thought that really came through for sure 
did you approach your other micro game that we spoke of off air uh, together mm-hmm. about community radio? Did you approach that with a similar type of style as you had a certain dynamic you wanted to have in yeah. the game? And of course, it's a little bit longer, but yeah. did you have a certain dynamic that you started off with or did you start off with a concept of that? And if you could tell us a little bit about it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first, starting with uh, the description of community radio, uh, community radio is a game uh, borrows from uh you know, pump of the volume, northern exposure, um, and uh, pretty deeply welcome to Nightville. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is about a weird, kooky town um, and uh, its radio station. And what happens is sort of like at some point you do these, uh, you get these uh, random prompts, uh, and then people sort of improvise a scene according to the random prompt for us, you know, maybe like a, a minute or two. And then uh, we sort of switch over to the radio. Um, and then um, they sort of summarize, you know, just like almost giving a radio report. Oh, hey, they were, you know, down at the dog park, you know, uh, fighting off a T-Rex, uh, you know. And, right. uh, uh, and and there's all these sort of, you know, s- sort of uh, secret edicts from the city council that you announce. And so it it, it plays off of this, kind of like zany improv to radio announcer recap kind of thing. And so so um, one of the things I loved about Welcome to Night Vale and like Northern Exposure and that kind of these, these radio-based kind of things is that they always sort of show you some stuff that, that happens in the outside world. And then there's one person who plays, you know, in, in the radio announcer thing who's trying to summarize and kind of explain the world to other people, right? And so they're always filtering real life through their perspective and through audio, right? And okay, and, and yeah. it's a it's a different it's a different texture mm-hmm. when you communicate it uh, orally as opposed to like, hey, I'm just going to show you the stuff on TV, right? Um, like radio sure, yeah. radio news and radio announcing is has a very different flavor, um, and sort of to use that to make a sort of improv comedy game out of it right um and use that radio announcer to sort of sum up the action that just happened um so yeah very cool very cool i'm looking forward to running that one you uh like i said we talked about it off the air uh, a couple weeks ago you had told me about it and i looked through i was like wow what a cool concept it's uh i i'm i'm personally i'm starting to get more into the micro games and the shorter games things that you don't have Mm to uh i'm going to use we we're talking about D D earlier. Uh, the, you know, the rulebook bloat, I guess you could say, where you're going to have players who feel like they have to effectively play the game. They have to know every single rule and have every single book and have every single expansion. And it's kind of nicer to sit down with shorter games. You know, it wants Souls or Lady Blackbird mm-hmm. or you know other games where you can just play it, <laughs> and mm-hmm. there it is. And you don't need to spend 600 years perfecting the game rules before you start playing a game. It gives you a different kind of freedom that a, a larger mm-hmm. game wouldn't give you, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it, I, I look at it as, and I know people sort of choose sides in this, but I, I don't choose sides in this. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a notion, I, I think there's like kind of two basic choices you can make. You can invest in experience sometimes, right? Where you're just mm-hmm. like, hey, what's the easiest way I can have an experience, right? Um, okay. You can, you know, something like It Wants Souls or Community Radio, you can play those games pretty fast um, yep. and just invest in the experience you're going to have with them, right? Or, or any of the books out of the micro games. I mean, there are a lot of amazing games in that micro game 
book right. Mm-hmm. A lot of amazing experiences that you can just get right into. Um, or you can invest in a framework, right? Um, uh, you know, if I'm going to invest in sort of D&D or like Pathfinder, right? At this point, I know I'm, I'm hyper comfortable at, you know, building counters, you know, running the game. Like I know, I don't, I don't have like encyclopedic knowledge of the rules, but I know them well enough that I can like, you know, I could, you know, if we were going to start a game right now, I could like do most of the stuff off of my head. Right. Sure. Um, And there, and there's, and there's comfort in that framework. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because I've invested in that framework, I can consistently make good experiences. The the problem in sometimes just investing in experience um, is it takes a lot of experience to get consistently good at that, right? If you were a new right. person coming into role-playing games, like without guidance, community radio would be too much for, for you. Or without guidance, it wants souls might be a little wild, right? Um, but if, sure. if, one, if one or two of, if one or two of the players knows what they're doing and have experience with role-playing game, you'll be fine, right? But it's not yes. the kind of thing that you can just come in totally new and do. Right, I agree. Yeah, it's because you're you're laying the groundwork with a system. It's kind of like let's say the you know education system. You can't just go into let's say a high school elective class without having the base work of all the grades before that. So I I, I think mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a great way to put it. How you kind of invest in different experiences between whether you want to have a shorter experience or the longer term thing. You want to put the work in to focus on a longer game. And I think that's why there's so many different games now. Um, we're, mm-hmm. As you know, we're living in kind of a renaissance of role-playing mm-hmm. games where there's so much stuff coming out, and it's a little daunting. But it's also great because you can find any flavor that you want at the restaurant now. There's all these different right. games that can literally scratch any itch you want. And I think that's great. It gets everybody playing a little bit something different. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. I, I want to, you know, I want to play, you know, I want to have long-term I want to have campaigns that run 10 years. I want to have one shots. I want to have um, games where the rules fit on half a page. I want to play mm-hmm. games that are big, you know, that have like 50 books. It's like, I just want to play games and like tell stories with friends. Right. Um, and I want to do it in as many ways as possible because it's freaking beautiful. Right. And it's, oh, yeah. and, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm always learning something about myself and other people in role-playing games. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I love that about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great pastime. <laughs> it's, uh, like I said, some people don't get why we do it, but uh, that's why we do it. <laughs> so another project that you're working on that I'm pretty excited about, and I know some of it we're going to kind of keep hush-hush because it's a work in progress, but your Pathfinder Paragon mode that you're working yeah. on, which is a solo well, I shouldn't say solo. I mean, it's a one DM, one player type of situation. But it's a way to play a game that some would see as a game that is you know, mandatory. You have to have a group. And you're presenting it in a way that doesn't really work that way. So how do you approach something like that? And again, you have a good familiarity with Pathfinder and how that all works. So that does help you. Mm-hmm. How do you approach taking a game that is kind of fundamentally structured in a party goes out to do an adventure to a hero goes out to do an adventure. A big advantage here in looking at it is uh, from Pathfinder stuff is that Pathfinder has some really tight math and like it's very sort of 
predictable. Its encounter building is pretty deterministic um, for the experience that it's built in. So you can sort of expect, you know, a severe encounter is going to like mess up uh, one or more of your players, right? Um, sure. And like a, a trivial encounter would just be a cakewalk in like a round or two. Right. Um, and so when you've got something predictable like that and consistent, then you can start to go, okay, well, what if, what, what do we happen if we just sort of like turn this dial down, like turn, turn this dial up for one player? Um, where do we sort of like, how can we sort of scale that? So it, it, it works. And there, there's still some tweaks that I, I need to do with that. Um, but, you know, for, for, for me, I always, always want to also do like a, make things as idiomatic as possible, right? I don't want people to, hey, I'm going to play one-on-one with the GM and I have to have all these ton of extra rules and we have to do all this extra stuff. I, the, the goal is to make it so you do as little tweaking to encounters as possible, um, sure. As it so, like you could run. Uh, my my ideal goal is that you could, by adjusting the numbers and adjusting a couple things so far, uh, take like a any of the established adventure path and just sure. run them, right? Um, right? Still a little bit from that, but uh, then the other part is looking at it is changing some of the assumptions of play, right? Uh, there 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 are, there are some rules that aren't interesting for a single player, right? Um, so they're like Pathfinder has rules for like dying. When you reach zero, you're in dying one and you have to make saves, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Um, and there, there's mechanics around that, but that's not really that that's to simulate the tension of like, Oh my God, one of, one of our four players went down. How can we yes. keep them up? Right. If it's mm-hmm. just you, there's no tension in keeping you up. Right. But then also when you're telling a solo story, the tension isn't really about do we beat them, right? Um, like in a four-player game, the tension is, hey, can we coordinate well enough to beat our foes? Um, right. And in the solo story, it's like, how do I progress despite setbacks? So, I, you know, the, the biggest tweak is changing the notion of dying in the game to mm-hmm. defeat. And sort of, and then sort of, it becomes like a reset. Like, oh, you're defeated, and so therefore these things happen. But then, like, you know, you're you wake up in a prison cell, or you know, you wake up in your town, and there's you've experienced some sort of loss or setback, but you haven't you haven't died unless you really want the character to die, and then you can just right. move on. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I love that. Yeah, I've I've just looked at some preliminary stuff that you've uh, been nice enough to share with me, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's I think it looks really exciting. I love the stuff I'm seeing so far, and I'm excited to see more of it. Do you have any sort of ETA as to when we might see something like that? Or? Um, at, you know, I was all gung ho to uh, work on it earlier this year, and then I went through the process of buying and renovating a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that takes some time up. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, I was I was a bit surprised by how much of my spare time that took up. Sure, um, yeah, that that is that is over. So I'm 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 I, I'd like to do something with that um, and get like an initial playtest thing out in like October. Beautiful! Um, wow, awesome. So you know, and and you know, get some more feedback on that and see see what people think of it. Very cool. To clarify, is that a Paragon mode? Is that a 
a self-published thing, or is that actually coming out through Paizo directly as part of their line? Oh no, it's, it's, it's totally it's totally self-published. Oh okay. Just, uh, random random cool. thing i came up with it was it, the origin of it was i wanted to play with my son okay. at, at random and so i was like oh like hey, hey like let's just play and then i was like okay hey you know and i just sort of started like noodling with the numbers and i was like okay so if i just like tweak things like this let's go and it worked out you know we did like almost the whole beginner spots that way so it was cool Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, how old is your son, if you don't mind me sharing with everyone? He is 11. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, my little guy is nine. Uh, nine going on 30. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, He's got the whole thing figured out. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fun age. Well, that's very cool. Yeah, it's cool you can share the hobby. Uh, I've done a few little minor games with my son. Again, solo stuff. Although I did have, he had some friends over right around New Year's. Two little boys who lived down the street. And they all three played. And mm-hmm. it was so funny. It was such your typical... Um, Two of the boys, my son was one of them, were, this is silly, and my name is Poopy Pants McGee, and the other kid was like, no, guys, we're playing, this is serious, we need to beat this monster. It was it was really funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, so it's That's every awesome. age acts the exact same way, it's good to know. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was, it was fun. Run, it was fun running for my son and his friends. Like I've I've actually run for some of his friends and stuff like that. Mm. And it was yeah, same thing. So it was just awesome. you know, like like not not a he not a healer amongst them, where right? everybody was yeah. like you know like DPS central. It was great. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so moving forward, what sort of other things can we find on the horizon? Do you have any other games that are in development that you're working on? I know you said you were pretty busy with your home renovations and everything, and that does take time so you might not have anything directly planned but is there any sort of immediate things that maybe we can expect that you're working on we can see uh so i can say so some paizo stuff that uh is definitely like announced and out there so so dark archive is out um i want to suggest so dark archive is an amazing um, amazing book um even if one does not play pathfinder like these mm-hmm. books are like really gorgeous and like lots of great like lore and like interesting like formatting and ideas. Um, there's my sales pitch on that, but um, in there I wrote in, uh, I have a couple things um, uh, in particular, uh, an adventure there called Tomorrow's Feast, which I like, it's very hard to pitch because people need to see it and experience it. Like I don't want to give away okay. what it's a, about. Uh, it. It's a it's a time travel adventure of sorts. Oh man, you just um, sold me right there. <laughs> um, but I don't want to say much more about it. But okay, it's, okay. I'm super proud of it. It's super awesome. Um, it's in there, and there are a lot of adve- awesome adventures. It's one of many awesome adventures in there. Excellent. And then I also have. Um, it's going to be coming out like next year, but it was announced um, uh, for Drift Hackers, uh, the Clockwork Demons. Um, I wrote that Starfinder adventure. Starfinder, Very I cool. also love. Um, yeah. And yeah. then for other like game stuff uh, out, nothing on the horizon yet. Um, again, I'm, I'm hoping to get the Paragon stuff, like a play test out um, in October. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, other, other than that, nothing on the horizon. Then I'm, uh, ho- hopefully I'll, you know, have some other stuff that I'll be working on there. I, I have uh, ex- like a sort of limited slot for work these days. And um, I'm fortunate, um, like I'm often busy with Paizo related stuff. 
Um, so uh, likely it will be something like that, but I will try and sneak in some stuff uh, there. Um, and and I'm, I'm hoping actually to do something uh, minis related because um, I, oh. I, I, I love I love uh, miniatures and like uh, like tactical tabletop games and stuff like that. So I I'm, I'm, I'm think I might try and do something like that in the next year. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see what you come up with next, Quinn. Where can my listeners find you online? Where's your socials or any sort of website you might have? Um, my website is in a state of disrepair, so I will like just put people to QH underscore Murphy on Twitter. These days I'm talking about a lot of 3D printing stuff, but I also do talk about role-playing games and Pathfinder and other stuff that I like there. Absolutely, yeah. We'll, of course, have the link to Quinn's socials in the show notes. And also, uh, if you want to stop by and buy him a coffee, please do. He's got one of those, too. And uh, that'll be on the links, too. Well, thank you so very much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Just like last time we spoke, I had a blast just kind of geeking out and talking about stuff. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And again, that was a great interview with Quinn Murphy. I want to thank Quinn so very much for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me. I always find my time with Quinn to be informative and honest, and I want to thank him sincerely for taking the time. Quinn can be found online on Twitter at QH underscore Murphy. A direct link to his social media handle will be included in the show notes, as well as a link to his immediate projects and previous works. If you'd like to support Quinn, please head on over to the link in the show notes to buy him a coffee and show that you support his hard work and dedication. Again, thank you so very much, Quinn. And thank you so very much, all of you, for listening. We'll be sure to do another one of these soon. And in the meantime, be kind to one another and keep dreaming your impossible dreams.